0: This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at otv underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glynn. Hello, hello, hello. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glynn, and this is episode six of the On The Banks Podcast. We will be joined by Rutgers reporter for NJ.com, James Cratch in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about a few things that happened at Rutgers since our last podcast aired. Now, first for football, and we will talk more about this with James, it was announced that Kai Hester will rejoin the team after initially deciding to leave for Florida International as a grad transfer. Now, obviously, with the dismissal of KJ Gray, this is huge for the depth overall of the secondary. But even more important, Rutgers, you got to realize, is bringing back a true impact player to play alongside Saquon Hampton at safety. Let's not forget this, that Kai Hester last season due to his play was an honorable mention All-Big Ten. And even though they moved Damon Hayes to safety this offseason, I see Kai Hester taking back that starting spot pretty quickly. I mean, how could you not give it back to him? Had it last year again, an All-Big Ten honorable mention last season. And what was not already talented secondary just got even better. And, you know, Saquon Hampton, you need to remember, dealt with injury last season. Before Hester announced he was returning, look at it this way. If his safety went down, Hayes or Hampton again, Rutgers was very thin at that spot. Now, with Hester coming back, Rutgers has that assurance that if an injury were to happen, they have depth behind the two starters. So, this return of Kai Hester, him announcing that he will be playing his final year at Rutgers, makes all the difference for the secondary, and adds to what is an already talented group and a group that, in my opinion, can be one of the best in the Big Ten. Now in basketball news, it is no secret that Rutgers is holding that final remaining scholarship for Andre Hyatt. You know, Jerry touched on it in our last podcast that the staff has made it known Andre Hyatt is the guy. And if he commits, then that scholarship is going to him. And if he decides not to commit and goes elsewhere, then they could Go after another late recruit like they've done in, in years past, a grad transfer maybe, or roll it over to 2019. But in Andre Hyatt news, the four-star wing did announce a few days ago that he will be revealing his decision on August 10th, and that he will be choosing between LSU, Seton Hall, and Rutgers. Now, he has officially visited both Rutgers and Seton Hall. That sets up well for LSU as they'll have that final visit, which is that is just of the utmost importance because it's the last impression on a kid before he decides to commit to a school. Now, because of that, LSU seems to be in the driver's seat. But look, Steve Peichel, they've put in a lot of work with Andre Hyatt. And one thing the staff has shown so far is that they've been able to close on the recruiting trail. You saw it with Montez Mathis. You saw it with Paul Mulcahy. And maybe you'll see with Andre Hyatt. Now, it'll ultimately be tough to get Hyatt again. He had a whole host of suitors narrowed it down to Rutgers, Seton Hall, and LSU. But if Rutgers is able to get him, it'll be another piece to the puzzle for Steve Peichel, a pure shooter coming in, a four-star shooter, and it'll put Rutgers one step closer to the ultimate goals of NCAA tournament basketball and consistent winning here on the banks. Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. I am now pleased to be joined by Rutgers reporter for NJ.com, James Cratch. James, thanks for coming on episode six of the On the Banks podcast. Uh,
1: My pleasure, Lance. Thanks for having me.
0: So I want to start with, I guess, the most recent news for Rutgers. You know, Kai Hester returning after almost leaving for Florida International as a grad transfer. Ash and Neiman, you know, they moved Damon Hayes to safety this past offseason. And of course, there was the dismissal of KJ Gray and the ongoing investigation. But now that Hester is back, do you ultimately see him returning to his starting role for Rutgers early on? And just how big is his impact talent-wise and for depth for that secondary going into this season?
1: Going, for him coming back as a starter, I think that's a really good question. Uh, look, Damon Hayes, the coaching staff was very uh, encouraged, pleased, excited with what he did in spring ball once he made that shift to safety. I, I had one person in the program tell me, you know, we, we moved Damon Hayes to safety for a reason. They thought he was a guy that could potentially even maybe, before KJ Gray was even out of the picture, push at some point to start at safety. So if I had to venture a guess, I think going into. Uh, camp obviously starts next week. I would say that Hayes, I think, has the edge to hold on to that starting job that he kind of inherited when when, when Gray left the program. But at the same time, I mean, I, I don't think you bring back Kai Hester, who you know Ash said it, is 100 healthy, ready to go. Obviously, I don't think you bring him back if he's not going to be the starter at some point, or at least at the very least, play starter level snaps. I think it's a big move for Rutgers. I mean. Their depth was going to look a little questionable there because before Kai Hester came back, they were looking at going into training camp with three different safeties, Gray, Juwan Harris, obviously playing baseball, and Kai Hester when we thought he was going to FIU. Uh, three guys who started games last year at safety weren't going to be back on the roster uh, as when training camp started until Kai decided to switch here and, and, and stay here at Rutgers. So I think it's a big move for their depth. It gives them another Big Ten caliber player out there. I think some people would argue... Kai Esther was one of the best players on the defense last year, and uh, it, it gives them a little bit more kind of alleviates some of the concerns, I think, when you when you lost the starter like KJ Gray.
0: And, you know, I want to stay on that secondary for a second, and one guy Rutgers is also getting back is Blesson Austin. And, you know, at the Big Ten Media Days this past week, you know, you were in Chicago, Chris Ash and Blesson Austin. They both said, you know, he's 100%. He's ready to go. Uh, no limitations for the star corner. You know, with his full health, the emergence of Trey Avery, Obviously, Wharton, Hampton, Hayes, Hester coming back as well. You know, this unit, this secondary unit, do you believe that it could be the strongest on the team? Or, frankly, has it already reached the level of being the strongest unit on this team?
1: I don't think it's there yet. I would still lean toward the the linebackers as the strongest unit on the team just because you've got two returning starters who were pushing 100-plus tackles last year. You've got Tyreek Maddox Williams coming back from injury, who looks sensational. And then you got Tyshawn Fogg, who I think a lot of fans are excited about after he had a really strong spring uh, practice uh, in a sophomore, a you know, four-star guy. But I think they could get there, definitely. I mean, I think Trey Avery is a really intriguing player. This is a guy who Chris Ash helped recruit at Ohio State. He was a top prospect, had some difficulties there, went to Toledo, never played, came to Rutgers, he had a name change, redshirted last year. And it seems like he's a guy who's moving up. I think he's definitely that third cornerback behind Bless Austin as Isaiah Wharton. Seems like Rutgers thinks that you know Trey Avery is going to be an impact player in the return game. Ash seemed to indicate that he's going to be the punt returner and, and mix in there a kick return as well. I think he's a kind of an athletic guy. So and the unit name you know Ozzie Hampton, Hester Gray, some of the other guys there. Uh, it's a very deep secondary group. I, I wouldn't put it right past the linebackers at this point, but I think they could get
0: there as the season progresses. And with Austin, you know, again, a guy who came down in the Nebraska game last year with just a, a horrible injury, kept him out the whole season. I was surprised to see that he was already 100%. Do you think even though he's he's ready to go, you know, according to Ashton, him, you know, full go, do you think they'll kind of ease him back in uh, during training him just to make sure they don't re-aggravate anything or, or, or to make sure that, you know, come game one, he he's, you know, full go, he's ready?
1: Yeah, that was one of the things that I think people speculate about, and I asked Ash and Austin, and they both said no. I mean, what I think a lot of fans have realized is that, and it sounds crazy. I agree with you. When they Rutgers had spring ball, they thought that Bless Austin was pretty much a hundred percent. Then he was doing individual drills, and they kept him saying, you know, we're being cautious, we're you know taking it slow. There's no reason to rush. But I think Corey Robinson, the quarterbacks coach, said, you know, if if you know back in Mid-April, if Rutgers was playing Texas State the next day, he thought Bless Austin would have been ready at that point to go play in the game. So he's had a pretty pretty remarkable quick, you know. know, Fingers crossed for Rutgers. Everything that you know they think is the case is the case. Uh, He's had a pretty remarkable rehab process, and he you know he said 100. You know he has no concerns, no lingering issues. You know he's he's passed the injury, and obviously this is probably going to be his last year at Rutgers. Um, He said he considered the NFL, and I think that that will surprise some fans. But a lot of guys, when they have an injury and and they have NFL aspirations, they think, okay, maybe it's just better if I go rehab this as a professional. Uh, He chose not to. He came back to Rutgers, I think, you know, senior year. I would be shocked that I think he would have a case for a medical redshirt, uh, but I don't know if he's actually going to pursue that in 2019. But he's the best player on the defense. And if Rutgers can have him at healthy and and making impact plays, I think – That gives their defense a strong leader at the top and gives them a push, you know, as they try to make a bowl game this year.
0: You know, you had mentioned the names earlier uh, at the linebacker group Fogg, Morris, Roberts, you know, Tyreek Maddox Williams coming back from injury, and there's still a lot more depth behind them. You know, it's a good problem, in my opinion, for Chris Ash to have, right? There's so many talented players at the linebacker position but there's really not enough space to get them all on the field at the same time. How do you kind of see this linebacker group rotating? And in terms of starters and playing time, how do you see that kind of all working out?
1: Well, those four guys I mentioned, I think are, are the main four linebackers. I think there's been a lot of talk among, amongst fans that, you know, can fog beat out Trevor Morris. I don't, I don't know if that's really something that people should focus on. My, my assumption is that they're both going to play starter level, level snaps, no matter who, you know, is out there first to start a game. But one of the things I think you're going to see from the linebackers this year is everyone knows, Chris Ash has said it, uh, defensive line depth is a major concern for this team. Rutgers feels good about the front four starters they have, but they've got a lot of question marks and young guys behind those starters, and they don't know where all, if all that depth is going to be there or where they're going to have struggles. I think you're going to see, especially in terms of pass rush, which has been an issue for Rutgers, in recent seasons, would not shock me if you see some exotic linebacker packages, and that's how they kind of get those guys on the field, get them snaps, and also take some of the pressure off a defensive line that's got some depth concerns. Maybe, you know, stunts, blitzes, maybe you, you walk guys up, maybe you have extra linebackers that kind of stand in, as, you know, like, you know, obviously the jack position is kind of like a stand up pass rush position that Ellen Loomer is going to. Maybe you put some linebackers there. Uh, I think they're going to get creative potentially to get those linebackers, A, on the field, and B, kind of help out the defensive line.
0: You know, you mentioned that defensive line, and you said it. It's one of the biggest question marks on the team, right? No more uh, kamogler Torrey, obviously. No more Sebastian Joseph. And really, it's kind of, when you think about it, Kevin Wilkins' line now to anchor. And... I think that while, you know, depth might be a concern, the exciting thing, at least for the players, is that there is so much opportunity to go around for guys, you know, relatively unknowns to step up and to make an impact. You know, with that D-line group, are there kind of one or two players that you've taken notice to or you've seen that maybe haven't really been super hyped up uh, that can make an impact going into this season and that can really help push uh, that Rutgers defensive line group?
1: Well, I'll give you one guy who's projected to be a starter and one guy who's projected to be kind of a backup, you know, second-string guy. The starter, Julius Turner, is going to be the nose tackle, it looks like. And he's under 300 pounds, which is not necessarily what you want out of your Big Ten nose tackle. I mean, he'll probably be the latest nose tackle in the Big Ten, I would presume. But I think Rutgers, they like his kind of quickness his agility, his ability to kind of make plays, get through gaps. I think if Rutgers' defensive line is going to produce, kind of exceed expectations, I think Julius Turner is going to be a big reason why. It's sort of a guy who who can shoot gaps, who's getting in the backfield, blowing up run plays, getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, and as far as the you know second string guys, the backers are concerned, Mike Turdov obviously the you know Rutgers legacy, start at Union High. Missed last year, his freshman year, red shitter with a shoulder injury. He's a guy who had a really good spring, and I think he's going to be one of those players that they maybe turn to to get in the rotation at defensive end. Uh, Maybe he's a guy who can bump inside a little bit, you know, to give him more pass rush on the field and and kind of give them that depth. Because, again, you know, Chris Ash said this in Chicago at media days. He feels good about the 22 starters or projected starters he has. But after that is, I think, where he's concerned when it comes to the depth because the issue he can't really afford to have is one starter goes down and the drop-off to his backup is a steep one.
0: Now, I want to move from one line to the next, and to the offensive line we go. You know, Tariq Cole, obviously an NFL prospect, and you look at it on the other side, Kamal Seymour, they kind of you know, hold down the two tackle spots on that offensive line. But in the interior, you know, the two guards in the center position, while you have a little bit of experience coming back, there's not going to be many starts between the three, whoever they are, that, you know, occupy the two guard spots and, and the center position. You know, with that inexperience going into training camp and the season in that interior, you know, how big of a worry do you think fans should have regarding the offensive line? And I guess who are the guys you see stepping up to fill those spots?
1: Well, you know, anytime your offensive line is unsettled, I think you have to have a concern. As far as Rutgers, and, and you're right, the interior that offensive line is kind of the place where there are some things that have to be sorted out. Jonah Jackson is going to be a starter. I don't think that's in dispute. I think it's just a case of, does he start at left guard or has he started center? Obviously, uh, he he was at center a little bit last year, then he got hurt. Mike Maetti goes in. Jonah Jackson started spring ball at left guard, then eventually they moved him to center. They put Mike Lonsdorf in at left guard. That was the lineup, that setup they had in the spring game. I think it's a question of how, first off, how does the coaching staff make that decision? Do they put Jonah Jackson in a place where they think he's best, or do they put Jonah Jackson in a position where they think that they can get the best five if he's there? So I guess what's making the decision for Jackson in terms of his position? His best position or the best position for him that fits the team's goal? I think Michael had really impressed them. In the spring, I think he's got a, a good shot to be the left guard. Uh, Vineski, Nick Crimin, Micah Clark in the mix at right guard. I think that's one of the four in flux. So if, if I had to venture a guess right now, I think you're going to see Jonah Jackson be the center, Mike Lonsworth at left guard, Cole at left tackle, obviously, Kamal Seymour at right tackle. And I think the you know Crimin, Vinesky, Clark, you know maybe one or two other guys kind of sneak in there. That, that's going to be kind of the open competition in camp the right guard that's the one spot that I think is most open as we head into training camp.
0: and you know you bring up a name Micah Clark and you know he obviously a guy a four-star recruit uh, I believe either you know number two or number three in New Jersey when he committed to Rutgers but someone who wasn't really talked about this spring and I know that worried a lot of fans can you just talk about you know where Micah Clark is in his development and you know just you know his standing with with the team and, and with coach Ash going forward
1: yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Michael Clark, you know, sorry spring practice. I, you know, you think he was, you know, second, second string. You know, I mean, obviously in spring practice, when, when A.J. the offensive line coach, is moving guys in and out of different positions, the second and third teams kind of run into each other, and you don't know, you know who stands where. Uh, and then, obviously, he missed the last few practices in the spring game. You know, he kind of, for personal reasons, he's back with the team. Uh, Chris Ash said he had a really strong, you know, summer workout. You know, he's going to be there when, when Cam Stardash said, and I think that he's a guy who, you know, look, I think a lot of times fans get very excited about recruiting ratings and, and you know, stars and everything, and, and they want those guys to be on the field immediately. It's, sometimes it works that way. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, he's he's still a, a sophomore. Obviously, he didn't redshirt last year. I mean, if, if that might be in the cards in this year, we'll see. I think, a lot of it I mean, first off he's gonna get a chance to compete for the job of right guard, I think so. It's entirely possible he comes out, has a great summer and he wins that position. We'll have to see. But I think that you know, it takes a while for some linemen to kinda grow into their bodies, grow you know, get the strength and everything to play in the big ten. So even if Michael Clark doesn't play much this year or he redshirts, I mean, he's still gonna have two or three years to be an impact player. And I think that, you know, that's nothing to scoff at so Coming into camp, I would say, you know, he he's in the mix. I don't think he's the favorite to win a starting job. I think there's some guys in front of him. But whether it be injuries or, or a great camp from him or both, I, I think he has a chance to move up on the depth chart. But for now, I would say he's, he's he's got some guys in front of him.
0: You know, the running back position this year, they gained an experience back this off season, obviously in John Hillman transferring over as a grand tra- as a grad transfer from Boston College. And and they bring back obviously Raheem Blackshear off of a positive freshman year, Trace Need, obviously, off of his red shirt as well. But it seems like with this group, there's been a lot of talk and hype surrounding freshman Isaiah Pacheco uh, out of Vineland. You know, Chris Ash has played freshman before, did it last year with Raheem Blackshear. But with Blackshear and Hillman there, how much of an impact do you see out of Pacheco? And I guess, how do you think Ash and Campanelli will end up using all the weapons they have in that backfield?
1: It's an interesting because Look, obviously Jonathan Hillman—he comes here. He's a workhorse. There's going to be a role for him. Uh, they, a lot of people I've talked to, they think Raheem Blackshear is the most dynamic offensive player on the roster. And I talked to one coach who said, you know, we got we got to get him the ball. And obviously, I think Blackshear's not the biggest guy in the world, so there's going to be uh, some concern about, you know, okay, how are we going to, you know, keep him healthy, upright on the field, and get him the ball enough? But I, I think. Blackstreet is a guy who I could see getting 15 to 20 touches a game, whether it be in a return game, uh, re- catching the ball of the backfield, running the ball. Hilleman's going to get his touches. I uh, think you're right, Pacheco has, was impressive. Seems like a guy who has a chance to be a star here at Rutgers. Um, you know, Trace, you know, Trace Need is another guy that Ash mentioned at Media Days, really praised his work. Got Elijah Barnall. They got a lot of depth at, at that running back position. Wouldn't shock me if you see one or two of the guys near the bottom maybe try to switch positions to find a, a clearer path to the field. But I, I think they're gonna they're gonna use a running back by committee approach. That's what Ash said at media days. I'm just not sure. I'm intrigued to see how it shakes out because Hillman's gonna have to get his touches, Black Shear and then is a guy who I could see, you know, maybe being deserving of, of more touches than maybe they can find in the offense at least early on.
0: And, you know, with that running gra- uh, running back group, Lester Erb, he switches over to the wide receivers, and then Nunzio Campanelli obviously comes in and coaches the running backs out of, you know, the co- former coach of Bergen Kath. Like, how has that dynamic been bringing in Campanelli, moving Erb uh, to the receivers? And I guess how has the running back group kind of, you know, meshed and uh, and grown with uh, Campanelli leading them?
1: I guess I think the bigger impact has been uh, in the receiver room. I mean, Ash has raved about... Kind of the relationship that, that Herb has built with the receivers, the progress that group has made. You know, Ash said at Media Days when I was there, with, with my partner Keith Sergeant for NJ.com, we were talking, to him. he said, you know, the first two seasons he was here, the receivers room, they didn't be, This is Ash's word. It didn't behave very well. You know, it didn't produce as much as they wanted to. Uh, but they've made a lot of progress since Herb took over that room. And obviously, Ash said, look, he can't declare the situation drastically fixed or changed. You know, now it's early but he's really been pleased with, with how Herb has kind of impacted the culture of that position group. And in Campanelli, I mean, I, I've heard nothing but good things of, about what he's doing at running back. But I think, obviously, you know, one of the things that when, they, when Eric was made that hire, it was so, I think fans were very excited. Because they thought it was going to be this big you know, recruiting boon and kind of open up the big North and, and North Jersey you know, pipeline. And that still may happen, but I think the one of the things that I've kind of been struck by with Campanelli is while he's a, a major figure in New Jersey – you know, football circles, he's just kind of put his head down and done his job, you know, kind of just, just going to work at Rutgers, and I think it's gained him a lot of respect there.
0: And, you know, you mentioned the receivers, and I'm going to group the tight ends with them as well. Bo Melton is obviously a year older. Jerome Washington is coming back. You know, we've heard big things about uh, Travis Vogelek, uh, the the tight end. The receiving core as a whole is a year older, deeper as well, I think, as they brought some other faces in. Um, and now John McNulty, he seems more willing, and shown it in the spring game, to air it out and, and throw the ball down the field. With that uh, and the depth they have and the fact that they're another year older, do you see this group taking a big step forward? You know, no receiver over 300 yards last year. You really can't go anywhere but up. But how big can that step be forward for this group coming next year?
1: It depends. I mean, look, Volklok looked sensational during spring practice. Washington, obviously, was with his injury, but he was the leading receiver last year. You know, Melton had a great spring practice, Shameen Jones, Eddie Lewis. But the thing I keep on coming back to is these guys have to actually do it once the fall comes, when, when the lights are on. And we just haven't seen them do that yet. So I think that, yes, McNulty wants to air the ball out. He wants to throw the ball downfield. the field. If the guy who I think we all assume is going to be the quarterback is the quarterback, that's going to be there for him. But while Bo Melton looks like a number one receiver, uh, during spring ball, and Travis Boakalek was like he could be a dominant pass-catching tight end that splits the seam. we got to see them do it w- when it counts. We've also got to see the offensive line protect Mark Chikowski who I, I think I, most of us think is going to be the quarterback, give him the time to kind of push the ball downfield. I definitely don't think Rutgers wants to run the ball as much as they did last year. But, again, we've got to see that they have the ability, and the guys that performed in the spring – carry that over to the summer into the fall
0: now you just mentioned it you, you you got ahead of my next question i was gonna see who you thought was going to be the next quarterback who most people think it is and you mentioned it in arthur sitkowski and you know looking at sitkowski and geo and obviously jonathan lewis as well um, I guess from what you've seen, from what you've heard, I think you answered who you think is going to be under center. But I guess you know Chris Ash hasn't you know really rushed in years past to name a quarterback. Do you think that maybe this year, if one of those guys emerges really quickly, that you know he could name it pretty early in the off season?
1: I think Ash. He said he wants to do it sooner rather than later. I still kind of tend to think ten to fourteen days before the opener, September one, is kind of the sweet spot for for where Ash would name the quarterback, but. You know, look, let me put it this way. We don't see everything at spring ball, obviously, but from what we saw, reporters, you know, when we were allowed in, what Sarge and I and police saw, it was clear that Art was the best quarterback on the field for spring. And I just have a very difficult time envisioning a scenario unless, you know, he gets injured somehow or just has a really, really poor summer that it would take something. Stunning and unforeseen for him not to be the quarterback, in my opinion. So I, I think, in that sense, yes. If he has a, if the first week to ten days of camp go the way the spring did, maybe Ash would get it out of the way and kind of announce it. But again, you know, he's a freshman. He, you know, you know what Gio Rossino can do. If you know, Jonathan Lewis did make strides. I think that was one of the things that kind of maybe didn't get as much of attention as it should. You know, he he showed progress from where he was as a freshman during the spring. Uh, I think there's a possibility Ash could call it early, but my guess is that he, he won't really see any benefit to declaring the competition over that early, and they'll let it push into that, you know, 10 to 14 days period where he'll probably make the announcement then, and the Rutgers will kind of shift its focus on the Texas State.
0: So now, James, a couple more before we let you go. You know, Chris Ash mentioned at Big Ten Media Days recently that year three was about getting to a bowl game. It was about, you know, getting to postseason play. And usually coaches are are skeptical to look ahead and to tell their players, you know, they, they always tell them to focus on the next game. Don't worry about, you know, games down the road. Just focus on what's in front of you. But from what you've seen, what you've heard, you know, how is Chris Ash addressing uh, the bowl game expectations, I guess, and the fact that you know now that they're, they're in year three and they, they won four games, you know, won two games in their first year. Now four games last season. You know, the next logical steps would be six games in a bowl. How is Chris Ash kind of going about it with the team addressing it? How is he talking about potentially making a bowl coming next season?
1: Well, he, he said that message sent the message several times to the media and talking to the handful of players that were in Chicago. Uh, they didn't really seem they said they weren't really focusing on you know dwelling on that thinking about a bowl game i didn't get the the hint that maybe he's discussed with them and look obviously when a team reports uh to camp that would probably be as good time as any for a coach to have that talk with his team so i think it's probably more of a case that ash wants to make sure the fan base understands that is that's the goal this year that and look they made progress last year. I know 4-8 and eight doesn't look great, but you, they won three Big Ten games, which I don't think most people thought they could do. They get the cow, you know, they, they get some recruits in. I think this is, a, is kind of a big step year for Ash. And obviously it's going to be intriguing because I was looking back, I mean, I think Shiano year three, they went five and seven. I mean, they went five and seven again year four. So you know, year three is usually where a, a lot of coaches who are going to have a successful rebuild they get that momentum, they get over the hump and get to a bowl game. But at the same time, you look at Rutgers' schedule, if Rutgers ends up winning five games this year and not going to a bowl, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a failure of the season.
0: And, you know, that'll kind of lead to my last question. The schedule, the way it's set up, you know, Rutgers, it's very possible that they'll be bowl eligible within the uh, within the first seven or eight games. Then after that, you look at the last four games, and it's, it's a gauntlet down the stretch. And it'll be tough out of those last four games. I think, what is it, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Penn State, uh, in whatever order it is. Uh, with those four games, it'll be tough to kind of come out with a win in any of those. But with all that being said, you know, in, if you could predict, you know, let's go ahead to at post-game 12 uh, of next season. What is Rutgers' record after that game, and do you think that they go bowling uh, for the first time under Chris Ash?
1: You know, I just – they could go bowling. I I just look at that schedule, and you mentioned the first eight games, and you're right. But here's the thing about the first eight games. So everyone talks about the first eight games. Well, you're not going to beat Ohio State. So you basically got to win six of seven. And then the Northwestern game, I think, is maybe the the game this whole thing will hinge on because we don't really know what Northwestern's going to be. I mean, if Clayton Thorson, their quarterback, is healthy – they could be a 10-win team again that, you know, kind of pushes, is in the mix to win the, the Big Ten West. But if Thorson isn't healthy or, or if they disappoint, they could be, you know, a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five team that Rutgers could potentially beat at home on homecoming. So, take that game. Then you're basically, if Northwestern is going to be a top team and Rutgers is going to be an underdog there, you're basically asking Rutgers to go 6-0 in the six games that we know they're either going to be favored or, or no more than a touchdown underdog. And I just – you know, Buffalo's a good team. It's not going to be easy to beat Kansas on the road. I know Kansas is a horrible program, but they're still a power five, you know, big 12 conference team that they're playing at home, and you know that they think they can beat records. You know, Indiana, Maryland, these are not pushover games. So I tend to think this team is going to go 5-7. and seven. I think they go 5-3 and three in the first eight. And then look, I think if Rutgers is five and three after eight, then that's a great opportunity for them. Four games against teams that are probably going to be in the top ten, top 15 in the country. A chance to get a major upset that you know gives you a national you know moment, and then gets you to the bowl eligibility. I don't really know if, if Rutgers could ask for more than that. So I tend to think five and seven. I think six and six is possible. I also think four and eight again is possible. I, th- I think five and seven. If they get to five and seven, and they're competitive in some of the games against the Big Ten elite. I think that's that's progress. And then while it's disappointing you didn't get to a bowl game, you go into year four feeling okay. This is the year we're not only going to make a bowl game, but we have a chance to maybe break through and get to seven wins or so.
0: Well, it'll certainly uh, be interesting and fun to find out. You know, training camp starting very very soon, and then the month of August is going to be here. Then September, and then September first that first game against Texas State. James, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much uh, for joining me and giving me some of your time. You got it, Lance. Thank you. Now it's time for Lance's final take. James mentioned a lot of points in that last interview, and there's a couple I want to hit on even further. Now with the defensive line, you know, as I said, and as James said, Kevin Wilkins, J- John Batke, and Ilorm Luma are the guys on that defensive line. Julius Turner may be someone that can step up as well as Mike Tverdov, but who really is going to step up? Is it going to be Tverdov? Is it going to be Mason? Is it going to be Jehon Duggan? Who's going to be that guy to step up, grab one of those spots, maybe exceed expectations, and help take some pressure off of this defensive line? Also, are Jay Neiman and Chris Ash, are they going to, you know, devise exotic schemes to potentially get all four linebackers on the field at the same time, which also takes some pressure off of the defensive line? If you can get Fogg, Morris, Roberts and Tyreek Maddox-Williams on the field at the same time, it really, really helps the defense. And James mentioned them as the strongest unit on the team. And and while I think you could go either way with the linebackers or the secondary, to get all four of those talented players on the field at the same time takes so much pressure off the rest of the defense. Now, switching over to the offense, it does seem like Sitkowski is going to be the guy. And it did, you know, James mentioned, Ash said, he wants to name a quarterback sooner rather than later. And you'd think that if Sitkowski comes out, like he did in spring practice and has a great training camp, you would assume that Sikowski would be named the quarterback sooner rather than later. He's shown his ability to throw the deep ball, something McNulty wants to do. And he's shown that he's on the same page with Bo Melton, as we all saw in the spring game. I think it was a 75-yard touchdown pass. So Sikowski seems to be the guy. And then Rutgers, the one big thing they've, they've faltered with the last couple of seasons has been quarterback play. And a quarterback makes all the difference, obviously. So if Rutgers could get consistent quarterback play from that offense and, and help you know, boost that offense from what it's been in previous seasons, then Chris Ash said it, your three bowl expectations. Two wins in the first year, four wins in the second year. The most logical next step is six wins, and it sets up with the schedule. Those first seven games, you look at it non-conference, Texas State, Buffalo, and then Kansas, if they can go 3-0 and and then, you know, it's unrealistic to think they'll go to Columbus and beat Ohio State, so it'll be 3-1 and after their first four. Then they have three winnable games, Indiana, Illinois, and Maryland. If they can go 6-1 and going into Northwestern, it sets up a very exciting game for Northwestern, but it also gives Rutgers the luxury of being bowl eligible. And I think that's what most fans want to see this year. They want to see bowl eligibility. They want to see Rutgers get to postseason play. It seems that Chris Ash has his team ready. It seems that Chris Ash has as much talent on this team as he's really ever had as Rutgers head coach. And it seems that if things break right for the Scarlet Knights, this could be the first time under Chris Ash that they are bowl eligible here on the banks. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.